So far, I've spent time on how something is aged and some degree of innovation that is being explored within that. Then I went over some brands that are focused on being grain to glass in a much more intimate nature. After that, I talked about innovation and exploring other grains to make whiskey. Then we moved on to the types of wood that are being used to age whiskey and how that might impart some degree of flavor or character to the final product. What else did we talk about? Yeast. How could I forget yeast? Yeast is probably an easy one to forget about because some distilleries, it's just something that they buy from a commodity supplier. For others, the relationship is one of great protection and secrecy, but the brands we talked about were the ones that were doing innovative stuff with yeast. They were going out and capturing it to create their whiskey, an attempt to capture some terroir. Last episode, I covered how some distillers are adding flavor to the whiskey during a finishing process. For the final planned episode in this series, we are going to talk about stills. Stills can come in many different arrangements or styles. Some styles and shapes are more purpose-driven. Some are merely about artistry, and others find some common ground between those two lines. You'll find more artistic folks waxing philosophical about how even the dents and dings on a still add to the uniqueness of the character of the spirit. Maybe it's better for us to start with what exactly it is that a still does before we talk about the different designs impact on the final product. Welcome to the Embellish Podcast, where we like to talk about stories. We like to explore how embellishment makes a story better, how it allows us to connect more deeply with both the person telling the story and the subject of the story. Together, we will explore people, products, and places that have a story to tell. We'll navigate through the truths, half-truths, and outright lies and decide if truthiness even matters. If you've ever been on any distillery tour, you've seen a still, and you've maybe had the process explained to you, so the next minute or so will be just a refresher. The whiskey process begins with some grain, some water, and some yeast. The water and grain combine to create the basis of the mash. The sugar content of the mash will be converted to alcohol, but it has to be done with some yeast. Whether it be wild yeast, commercial yeast, or a family yeast, the distiller pitches the yeast into the blend to convert those sugars to alcohol. During the process, there are several de different desirable and undesirable outputs from yeast. Congeners, oils, esters, and sulfur-based compounds all get thrown into the mash as this conversion process happens. If you were to stop here, you effectively have beer. But we won't because we're talking about whiskey, and that means it's time for the mash to head to the still. Depending on the type of the still will sometimes dictate whether the entire mash goes into the pot or just the liquid portions of it. But for simplification purposes, we'll just dump the entire thing into the still. The still is the place where distillation occurs. Distillation is a chemical process where liquid is heated and the, with the intent to extract vapor and leave behind unwanted things. If we are distilling water, the hope is to get water vapor and leave behind any contaminants. But in whiskey, the hope is to extract ethanol vapor and leave behind some of the rougher compounds that the mashing process creates. The still is heated to something near 200 degrees. Alcohol vaporizes around 170 and water boils above 210. You might reason that if you heated the mixture to only the alcohol vaporizing point, then you'd get pure ethanol coming off the still. But you'd be wrong. The problem with mash is that the mixture of alcohol and water changes the point where pure alcohol vaporizes. 
Depending on water to alcohol ratio, the number is between 174 and 210 degrees. What comes out of the still, however, is not pure ethanol. Most whiskey requirements actually want the product coming off the still to be somewhere between 160 and 190 proof, which means that the product is somewhere between 80 and 95% pure alcohol. This leaves room for water, which might be confusing, and those other flavors that came from the fermentation process. Once the vapor exits the main part of the still, it ultimately travels to a condenser where the vapor is cooled back to a liquid state and captured in some type of a container. The distiller is tasked with keeping an eye on this because what comes off the still at the beginning and end is largely useless to the final product. However, some will put this back into the next distillation process to redistill it, and they also um, use it to increase the ABV, or alcohol by volume, of the mash to aid in the distillation process. Or you can use it as a cleaner or a sanitizer. The size, shape, and material the vessel is made of is going to be the biggest indicator as to what those other values happen to be. Without talking about the style, we can talk about the size and material. Whether the still is tall or short can have a distinct value in the flavoring of the final product coming off of the still. Most of the chemical compounds that exist in the mash are heavier than the alcohol vapor and boil it at a higher temperature. For them to enter into the final distilled product, they must effectively hitch a ride on the alcohol and water vapor as it rises. If the still is tall, it decreases the opportunity for some of the heavier oils and chemicals to hold on to its grasp of the vapor as it rises. This will likely result in a more neutral flavor, coming down the arm and through the condenser into the final bucket. Conversely, a shorter pot will allow for more of those flavors to go on this ride. This effectively creates a reflux situation in taller stills that just isn't present in shorter stills. Now, is it large or small? Tall and short don't point to capacity. Size brings around a thermal capacity issue as well. It will take more time and effort to heat a large still, but it is likely to be more stable and less susceptible to temperature fluctuation. The material also plays a role here too. You'll find two different metals in current steel construction, stainless steel and copper. Stainless steel has largely no impact on the final product other than being slightly more durable and longer lasting than copper, but copper actually has an impact. During the fermentation process, there are sulfur compounds that are a byproduct of alcohol conversion. You know sulfur when you smell it, and you certainly aren't interested in being a part of your final beverage as much as you can avoid it. Increased interaction between the mash during distillation and the copper allows for the sulfur to bond with the copper and become copper sulfate. Copper sulfate stays in the still after distillation completes, and the final product is much cleaner. Once we've gotten through the how of it, into the base level construction concerns, now we get into the styling of the still. There's a couple that are widely known within the industry and a few that are lesser known, and then a few more that are just outright unknown to the whiskey family. Still type is something that certainly pre-exists the American whiskey culture. Pot stills and column stills are synonymous with early European whiskey. But when many of the immigrants that came to this nation decided it was time to fire up the still and make a batch of grain alcohol, the ability to do so was inhibited by cost and material availability. Thus, the advent of the log still. There are an unknown number of folks in the early American history that used a log still to launch their distilling hopes, but there are two that we actually know about, Richard Wathen and J.W. Dant. They're both tracing their roots back to distilling in these log stills currently. The problem with a log still becomes how do you heat up the mash to create a spirit without burning down the log itself. They used copper piping to pump steam into the chamber and bring beer up to a distilling temperature. 
This process is very similar to that of a column still. Which brings us to the modern column still. The column still is largely vertical and contains a series of pipes and plates that allow for a series of events to occur. Number one, the column still allows for the creating of spirits exceeding 90% alcohol by volume. The plates and pipes allow for the alcohol vapor to continue on an upwards trajectory, hit a pipe or a plate, reliquify, heat up, and then vaporize again. Each time this happens, the alcohol purity increases. If you keep all things the same, the column still will allow for a completely repeatable product with a degree of uniformity that is essential for a nationwide brand. And if your goal is to grow a brand from non-existence into national notoriety, it would likely make sense to begin with a column still. The ability to create whiskey efficiently and with some degree of continuity of flavor is really enticing. The column still lends itself to a modern science lab type feel, and it really sits at home in a place like Bardstown Bourbon Company. If you haven't heard about this distillery yet, you likely will. A distillery that didn't exist more than a handful of years ago has slingshotted into the distilling forefront in what might be deemed a meteoric rise. Anytime someone asks me what distillery they should visit in Bardstown, I always encourage them to visit this specific distillery. Their focus on the customer experience is written all over the entire building, but that's not the focus for today. As you walk up to the building, you'll notice a glass-encased, visually appealing dual-column setup. The two column stills were crafted by Vendome and are on full display to every visitor. These two columns enable them to produce nearly 7 million proof gallons of distillate. How can a distillery that didn't exist 10 years ago need that type of capacity? They do a significant custom distilling operation. Many brands you see on the shelf today have barrels aging in the rickhouses around Bardstown Bourbon Company, which are also popping up like reproducing rabbits as well. Given their youth, how are they also able to establish a nationwide presence with good spirits? Blending. Aside from their unique barrel aging products, they have two shelf staples that are generally available to the consumer. The Discovery Series, which is a blend of whiskeys sourced from around the country to produce a top shelf spirit, and the Fusion Series. The Fusion Series is the one of interest for us here today. The purpose of the Fusion Series is to take some of the other sourced whiskey that they are purchasing and blend it with their own house distilled and aged product to create a series of unique but delicious offerings. Each bottle displays proudly the blending structure of its particular version. And how do they blend it? If tour guides and marketing material are to be believed, and why wouldn't they be in this situation, they effectively crowdsource the blend. Teams within the distillery are given whiskeys and tasked with creating their own blend. Those blends are then put in front of the group to decide which one is the next fusion bottling. The last time I was there, we barely missed the opportunity to buy Fusion Number no. 4, which was partially the brainchild of our tour guide that day. That's the kind of innovation and ideation that make the future of whiskey super interesting. And if innovation is your thing, you might also be interested in a little bit of redneck ingenuity. Historically, pot still distillation by its nature needed multiple passes through the still. Because of the nature of the pot still, it would require this to get the needed alcohol by volume and purity that the end product requires. This brought forward the need for thumpers. A thumper traditionally is a keg that sits between the still and the final collection condenser that effectively uses steam coming off of the still to heat up the liquid in a thumper and redistill the liquid. Some folks might use heads or tails from prior distillation here to allow for an already high proof to be in the thumper. If one thumper is good, what about a second one? Or more? 
The team over at Tennessee Thumper Stills are creating pieces of art that look like something out of a mad scientist's lab that allows this redistillation process to occur over and over again using mason jars. This smaller scale is obviously targeting craft distillers, but those jars can do something besides strip down liquid to an even higher proof spirit. They can impart flavors. Golden Beaver Distillery in California has one of these stills, and they are beginning to use this method to infuse flavors into their moonshine. If you get an opportunity to hop over to their Instagram account, you can see this amazing piece of machinery, or artwork, or science lab. Whatever you want to classify it as, I can only hope that they'll use it to create a new spin on their bourbon, whiskey, or rye. Sometimes the need to innovate drives people to create new and unique things. You can spend an entire career chasing down an invention or an innovation. A piece of wisdom often attributed to Edison is that when we innovate, we don't necessarily fail. We just find a way that something doesn't work. Other times, however, you find yourself looking back in time in a longing fashion, hoping to recapture some of the renegade trailblazing nature of our predecessors, and it can put us into a position of scouring old books and documents for ideas. Let me introduce you to Todd Leopold. Maybe not so much of an introduction as a reintroduction. We talked about the Leopold brothers in the Wild Yeast episode, and here we are talking about them again. More specifically, Todd and his vision to recreate an archaic still with the hopes of finding something new or maybe uncovering something old. Todd discovered a 19th century still plan that was called a three-chamber still. After a great deal of research, it was... It was somewhat easy to understand why this piece of whiskey history trivia had not made it through the Industrial Revolution. This particular still type doesn't necessarily produce a high yield. Given the state of craft whiskey in North America, we have entered a phase of the market that allows for quality over quantity. There's an available source of mundane whiskey to any consumer in the United States, and there's also a growing segment of whiskey consumers that are looking for something odd. A lot of what we have talked about so far have been non-traditional, odd flavors that might have the average consumer scratching their head, but we, the geeks, are looking for a thinking man's whiskey. When Todd discovered the blueprints, it began a long process of trying to figure out how to build it, how much it would cost, and then justifying the expense to the business so it's not just a modern-day spruce goose. The result is a still that has four chambers, with three of them being an active participator in the distillation process. It's effectively an oil extraction technique. The specific construction, which I am by no means qualified to even begin to describe, allows for extraction of heavier and oilier compounds from the beer. While the process of the column still is to strip out all of these compounds, the three-chamber still is uniquely designed to keep them. Not necessarily the bad ones, but certainly some of the more esoteric compounds. If you search around long enough, you'll find words like high-value congeners, fusel oil, rose ketones, and more. I'm, smart, I'm not smart enough to know what all of those things mean, but I've seen enough reviews of the resulting Leopold Brothers three-chamber rye to know that it's a polarizing spirit. If you come into it looking for a traditional rye, you'll likely be let down. If you come in wanting something off-profile or slightly different, this may be the thing for you. If you get a chance to go listen to any of the interviews with Todd, especially those on Distiller's Talk, you'll find nothing but passion for the odd. Passion for history and passion for something different. And if you were looking for something different, can you even do that with a pot still? Pot stills may be a rarity in large distillation producers, but many of the smaller craft distillers are starting out their journey to greatness on the pot still. One of the most polarizing bottles in the marketplace from Willet even pays homage to the pot still. If you don't know what I'm talking about, 
just to ask a group of whiskey snobs what they think of Willet Pot Still bourbon. Pot stills have a similar behavior to that of the Three Chamber Still. Their size and shape likely put them somewhere between Three Chamber Stills and a Column Still. More efficient than one, less efficient than the other. There are a ton of beautiful pot stills littered around the country. Some are operational, and some are nothing more than talking points, artistic centerpieces. The prevalence of pot stills is pretty high within the Scotch or Irish whiskey aficionados because of the batch nature of their spirits. What exactly does a pot still do? Most of the tall, short, big, and small talk refers to these pot stills. The teams who use these types of stills select their size, shape, and makeup to impart their flavor profiles. But what can you do to make your particular pot still unique, even to you? Distillery 291 has found a way to make a truly unique pot still. To better understand how the still is different, we might need to explore Michael Myers to fully understand it. Myers, the owner of the distillery, hails from a more artistic background. He is an accomplished fashion photographer that was actually on his way back from a Vanity Fair shoot when he realized that he wanted to make whiskey. His preference for whiskey led him down a path that he couldn't have known how far this would go. When he decided to start his distillery in Colorado, he tried to find an already made still and realized his finances wouldn't allow for the purchase of a 50-gallon pot still. With his farm background and his artistic nature, he found an alternative path. Meyer's original 45-gallon tank was made from photogravure plates. Those plates were the negative image of some of his own artwork. He had the plates water jetted and rolled out into flat sheets. And then he found someone who could TIG weld these panels together to create a 45-gallon still adorned with his previous artwork. Western landscapes, the Chrysler building, and more all adorn his starter still. He ran with that still for several years before outgrowing it. Now that same still operates as his thump keg. He crafts a whiskey that is unique to Colorado using Aspen staves, started in a large pot still, then dumped into a finishing still, and then finally into his thump keg. This end-to-end -end nature of his starter still to thump keg really make his journey and his still unique in a world filled with decorative pot stills. I think that stills are probably the most recognizable part of a whiskey distillery, maybe with the exception of the bottle, but likely the most misunderstood. Maybe it's because of all the magic that happens in a closed environment. The sloppy goop goes from mash tanks into the still. The still lid is closed and then you throw some heat at it. Without some relatively significant understanding of chemical engineering, the rest of the process is alchemy. Heat plus slop equals a pure grain alcohol that can impart some significantly unique flavors. I think for now, I'm putting a pin in this Foundational Blocks of Whiskey series and moving on. If any of these episodes were interesting to you, please reach out to me. I'm planning on starting some taste-along episodes where I can send out samples from most of the episodes to folks and we can spend half an hour or more tasting through the whiskeys and revisiting the content. Thanks for listening to the Embellish Podcast. If you like what you heard, make sure you subscribe. Check out our website at embellishpod.com and follow us on social media at Instagram and Twitter to keep up with what we have going on. If you have an idea about a story we should talk about, send it to us at embellishpod at gmail.com. And remember, whether famous or infamous, a good story mixed with a touch of embellishment makes the food you ate, the drink you drank, and the places you visited just a little more memorable. 